Hey everyone, today we're diving into a chapter of the past that's as captivating as it is heart-wrenching. Let's meet Winifred Gibbons, a young woman with a life that was anything but simple. Hi, I'm Shaylee and I'm the Cemetery Wanderer. I enjoy finding forgotten stories in history and sharing them, so please like and subscribe for more. Winifred Gibbons was born in Seattle, Washington in 1904 to Richard and Martha Gibbons. She was the youngest child with three older sisters and one older brother and her parents were older when she was born, her father being 57 and her mother 42. Richard was a merchant in a grocery store, and Martha was a homemaker. On May 26, 1920, around only 16 years old, Winifred married Irving Tibbetts, a 28-year-old farmer. This marriage lasted only a very short time, as three years later, when the events we're about to discuss occurred, they were divorced and Irving was remarried. I thought it was interesting in the newspaper where it mentioned they're obtaining their marriage license. His age is listed and hers just says legal. So it's a Saturday night, October 6, 1923. Winifred and some friends are at a roadhouse, basically a tavern or a bar called The Grove, and the booze is flowing probably a bit too freely. They danced and drank the night away until the wee hours of Sunday morning, October 7th, when everything took a turn for the worse. Reports very slightly but the general gist of what happened is stated here in this article. Let's read it. Says Seattle publicity man killed by young girl. Harry LaSalle, well-known publicity man and advertising director, was shot and killed early this morning at a roadhouse by Winifred Gibbons, 21, divorcee and niece of County Treasurer Shields. LaSalle's bride of two months was in another part of the inn at the time. Before dying, LaSalle said he did not know the woman who killed him, and could give no reason for her doing so. But the young woman slayer declared she had known LaSalle several years ago under the name of Bill Williams, and that he had grossly wronged her. The shooting has created a great sensation in Seattle social circles, LaSalle and his bride being very popular with the younger set. So before we dig more into this homicide case, a little background on this well-known publicity man, Harry LaSalle. The first article that we just read spelled his last name, LaSalle, with a U, but the other articles I, re I have read all spelled it LaSalle with an A. Actually, his name was Harry Hefferman. He was born in San Francisco in 1888. In 1906, he married his first wife, Rose, and had a son, Edward, in 1907. By 1910, they were separated, Harry living back with his widowed mother and siblings, and Rose and little Edward living with her parents. I found his draft card from 1917 and thought it was really interesting. He's listed as a self-employed advertising specialist and as married with a child. Now, I reviewed both the 1910 and 1920 censuses, and Rose and Edward were living with her parents at both times, but by 1920, her record was marked as being a divorcee. Sometime before December 1916, Harry started calling himself H.T. LaSalle. Ads started popping up in newspapers from Texas to Oklahoma to Arizona to Oregon to Washington. These ads are quite something, all proclaiming liquidations of various department stores by H.T. LaSalle, America's greatest merchandise expert. Some even say he's fresh in from New York, but I couldn't find any records of him ever having been in New York. Regardless of his claims of being America's greatest, he certainly seemed to enjoy plastering himself all over ads. Sometime in 1923, at age 35, Harry married again, this time to Annie Samansky, age 20. 
I was unable to find the marriage license to verify exactly what date, but various newspaper articles report it being anywhere from two months before the events of October 7th to just a few days before. So let's go back to October 6th and 7th. Harry and Annie went to a hotel to dance and then to the Grove with friends. Apparently they were celebrating a new automobile that Harry had bought Annie as a wedding gift. Within a few hours, Harry was lying on the porch of the Grove, dying, shot by Winifred Gibbons. Local newspapers published varying accounts of what exactly happened. One article said that Winifred left the Grove and ran her car into a ditch a mile away, and then a passing motorist took her back to the Grove and dropped her off, where she begged a crowd of men standing on the porch to help push her car out of the ditch. None were willing, at which point she drew her pistol and shot Harry in the abdomen, and then promptly fainted from the sheer horror of what she had done. Another account, the one we read earlier, said Winifred claimed to recognize Harry as a Bill Williams who had wronged her years before. However, she recanted that statement later, saying she didn't know him, she couldn't explain why she shot him, and that she had several drinks of gin and was intoxicated. Regardless of what happened, Winifred was immediately taken to the county jail and Harry to Providence Hospital. Evidently, he was rushed to surgery, but the surgeons determined he was too weak to, to survive a surgery, so instead Annie was allowed to sit by him. His last words, as reported by Annie, were, Goodbye, honey. Be a good girl. Harry T. LaSalle Hefferman died approximately 10 hours after being shot. His death certificate lists his cause of death as homicide, due to a gunshot wound of the abdomen. His remains were returned to San Francisco. The entire estate of America's greatest merchandising expert amounted to $750 of equity in the automobile he had recently purchased for Annie. As for Annie, I haven't had any luck finding what happened to her afterwards. So let's move on to Winifred and the aftermath of the homicide. She pleaded not guilty to the charge of manslaughter when arraigned just a week afterwards and her bail was set at $2,500. The trial was to begin the next month. An article described Winifred as being terrified, unknowing what is done in court, and of having an unusually dense cloud of fear dulling her brain. Apparently, there was an attempt made to prove her insane, but that effort failed, and on to trial she went. The jury was selected, and the trial began. The front row of seats in court was filled with five young girls about Winifred's age, all watching curiously. The trial was called a sensational affair and ended much more quickly than was expected. The verdict was guilty. The jury recommended leniency. So this article really intrigued me. I'll read some of what Annie said about Winifred. No term in prison that they could give her would bring back my husband. I have no feeling of hatred toward her, only a feeling of sympathy. I think she has suffered enough. She has been in jail a long time, and it must have been horrible for her. Horrible. Annie recommended leniency as well, saying, I believe that by giving her a chance to repent at home, the ends of justice will be served better than if she were sent away to serve a term in prison. Now for Winifred's opinion, I think I should be punished for my crime, but when I have paid the penalty and am free, I'm going back home to my mother. Mother certainly has been good to me. She never deserted me for a minute. Winifred was sentenced on December 9, 1923, to serve from one to ten years. Her lawyer called it barbaric brutality to send her to prison, while the prosecution said, 
We cannot stop this promiscuous man-killing unless someone of those found guilty is given a sentence that will act as a deterrent. Her lawyer filed an appeal, but then withdrew it quickly as Winifred was determined to accept her punishment. She was taken to the state prison in Walla Walla on January 3, 1924, to serve her sentence. Some newspaper articles over the next year mention that Winifred said about the prison, This place is not half as bad as they say it is. Another mention of Winifred says, Over in a corner, underneath a window where a ray of late autumn sunshine filtered across her cot, sat young Winifred Gibbons of LaSalle murder fame, in a nice pink starched house frock, all pretty and trim, and the only weapons she wielded this day were knitting needles. A study in psychology was Winifred this quiet afternoon, as she smiled happily over Jim Dandy's sweater she was knitting. Winifred spent about 11 months in prison and was paroled on December 7, 1924. The very next record I found of Winifred was a marriage license. Just five months later, Winifred was married to an accountant, James A. Raymer. The couple settled into life together, and I choose to imagine that the next few months were blissful for Winifred and James. But the next record I found of Winifred broke my heart. Less than a year later, on March 24, 1926, after a four-day battle with malignant smallpox, Winifred passed away at the age of 22. Her young life was so chaotic from age 15 on, and I really hope that last year of her life was peaceful and so happy. James married again a year later to a young single mother named Martha and adopted her son Charles. So this story was so incredibly sad to me. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. Please like this video and subscribe to my channel for more forgotten